Welcome everybody to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins. Today I am joined with Alex Lutz, our VP of Marketing at Rumsey, along with Dan Ryan, our Senior Director of Local Market and Sales here at the Advance, along with the Chair of the Emergency <laughs> Department of Medicine at Rumsey and Jean Gordon, our Assistant Vice President of Emergency Department Nursing. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for Thank having you, us. Of guys. course. Through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, medical professionals, and partners that make hospital thrive. On Rumsey Connections, we'll provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your own medical and health-related questions. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Dr. Jonathan LeBaron, Chair of Emergency Medicine, and Jean Gordon, Assistant Vice President of Emergency Department Nursing, in our last episode, we spoke about Rumsey's new state-of-the-art emergency department, which opened to the public in January of this year. In this episode, we're going to shift our focus a little bit to talk about the field of modern emergency medicine and advances in care, especially as we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'd like to see if you guys could walk us through what happens when a patient is brought into the ED, especially by ambulance. So patient brought into the emergency department by ambulance. They come in through our ambulance bay doors. If it's something that's very critical, very life-threatening, oftentimes the, the group that's with them, the paramedic, the EMT, they'll recognize that and they'll end up calling it into their dispatcher. And if the dispatcher thinks it's something that ends up needing to be escalated, they'll give us a call in the emergency department. And we'll actually get a little bit of a heads up. We'll get things ready. This is very common for our trauma patients. They'll give us a call. And once the, that call comes in, we'll activate our level two traumas and we bring down a whole slew of people to make sure that we're ready to treat the patient as they come in. Also happens with things like STEMIs, which are very specific heart attacks where people need to go and get uh, a test called an angio cath done where they end up going in and putting a balloon in and opening up the blood vessel that's blocked. For things like stroke, where they might need TPA, which is uh, a medicine that breaks up uh, a clot that's causing their stroke-like symptoms. And so for things like that, they'll end up giving us a call right away, so we're ready to meet people when they come in. If that does happen and you're coming into our beautiful new facility, you'll be rushed into our trauma resuscitation room. Our trauma resuscitation room is uh, this huge space. So it's set up for three patients, but uh, in times of surge, it could easily be moved up to six patients. Uh, there's three larger bays, which are designated for a large group of patients and a large group of people to come down and take care of one patient that ends up coming in. In the case of a trauma patient, if it's someone that needs some sort of surgical intervention to save their lives, they'll actually perform that right in the uh, in the uh, the emergency department in that bay there. If it's things like people having a very hard time breathing, they'll end up uh, doing intubation right there in that area. They'll end up putting them on a BiPAP, which is this like mask that really helps them breathe if they're having a really hard time breathing. And if it's things like stroke, it's for our whole team to come down and make sure that we're giving you the right medication, that we're getting the, the care that you need to get that symptom resolved very quickly. Uh, so that's that one group that comes in. If you're a patient that's fortunate enough to not need any of those things, which we hope you were, you come in, you're greeted by a nurse, nurse finds out what's going on, and then we get you in the front of a physician or a, a PA to take care of you and make sure that we're we're taking care of and addressing whatever concerns or symptoms you end up having going on there. Absolutely. So... One of the things, Gene, that we talked about and it's come up in, in a lot of conversation, we hear that word nurse. And I think there's uh, there might be from, whether it be from Hollywood or, or the perception that nurses are kind of in the background. 
and the physicians are up front. And that clearly is not the case anymore. And I think another thing that's a, a kind of predisposition of people that nurses is a is a female run type position. But we have a lot of male nurses, correct, right? How's that role of a nurse changed in an emergency room from that perception that they're in the back room? They're really not. They're in the forefront. That's right. I mean, it has changed over the years. There's a lot more male nurses now than there was. I did teach at the college maybe 10, 15 years ago. There was much less. Now uh, teams come in and it sometimes, you know, it'll be uh, five or six male nurses and two female nurses do a training, uh, you know, when they're doing the site rotations. The I can only speak to the emergency department, but the training that goes in for the nurses to be down there, you have to want to be a lifetime learner, right? Mm -hmm. ACLS, BLS, uh, you know, in addition to uh, trauma training that they have to be certified in. Um, now everybody's going through uh, specialized geriatric training, uh, the safe training, right? The nurses are, they're smart, they're quick, they're not aggressive, but assertive. Uh, the physicians, you know, the whole plan is when, and the whole design and the whole uh, process that we work on is trying to get the patient seen quickly. But the whole idea is to get the patient in front of the physician, right? So the nurse is the one at the bedside that's frequently picking up changes in the, in the uh, patient's condition. It's the nurse that eyeballs the patient that says this one has to be seen first. So I can only speak to ERs, but it's a very critical role in the ER, and they're very smart and very good. ED nurses are great. I mean, a good ED nurse is worth much more than a good ED doc, a good, a good <laughs> emergency department, a good anything. You know, they're 100% they're the front line. So we'll get in and we'll, of course, do like life-saving interventions and stuff, but you know, it's on them to recognize those patients that need those right away and get them in front of us. I mean, there's one doc, a lot of nurses, and, and we have to run around to see all the patients, but we need to trust that the nurses are going to really pick out the ones that, that need us and need us now, and that they are brave enough and, as Gene said, assertive enough to let us know that. You know, I mean, it, they, they have to pull us away from whatever we're doing. And a lot of times we're doing something that's also equally important, but they know what has to get taken care of right away, and they know where they have to bring us. Uh, they are problem solvers. They're very good at thinking on their feet. Like you, you really don't know what's going to come through the door of an emergency department, but they are the first person really to greet that patient and to get things rolling for that patient and to really get the the process of their treatment started and to continue with that treatment. And a lot of the stuff that's said to them and brought up, I mean, they got to react very quick to that. And they are incredible. And especially now getting through this pandemic, getting through this recent triple pandemic that we were through, what's asked of them is a lot more than what's asked of any other nurse at hospital, any other nurse at any hospital as far as I'm concerned in terms of, uh, in terms of emergency department nurses. Like they have to deal with a lot and they, what I really admire is they always deal with a smile. You have always. to love it. You have to love yes. it to do it, right? Basically. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, speaking of the pandemic, how has that impacted emergency care? I mean, you guys are on the front lines. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like, especially when the pandemic first started and there was very little information about how to treat and what to expect? Yeah, I mean, the beginning of the pandemic was very difficult. I, I remember my first COVID patient still, and it was before COVID was a thing, but it was a lady who looked fine, but she was breathing very quickly and our oxygen saturation was very low. And you know, we you only have so many things that can end up causing that. We ran through all of them. 
none of them were what was causing it. We were giving her all types of extra oxygen through mass or the BiPAP that we had talked about, and it still wasn't coming up. So we had no idea. We treated her for, I think we covered her for pneumonia to be safe because we know we're dealing with them. We admitted her to the ICU. And then like literally a week or two later, they start talking about COVID and the whole pandemic. It's like, oh, geez, that's what we, she had. And she was around everybody without a mask on. None of us had a mask on. So, I mean, this was like a completely different world back then. Yeah. Right? So you just started that, right? Uh, so I was at Presby uh, Queens prior to coming here. So this was at uh, Presby Queens still. I uh, had my old challenges to deal with here. And I understand that you guys had very similar, if not yeah. uh, more insurmountable issues going on over here. So, Gina, if you want to talk about that, I'd more than one. I mean, it was something that you can't even imagine. I still can't wrap my head around. And I very much remember the first patient that I had who was a community person who the staff knew, mm -hmm. uh, a neighbor okay. who I was walking into work and the wife pulled up behind the ER. She didn't know what was wrong with them, but she knew something was very wrong with them. And that was our first patient that had COVID. And nobody knew what it was. And then two weeks later, it was like, and epidemic and you know it was difficult but talk about the staff pulling together and the community pulling together and everybody knew uh that what they had to do when the patients came in but it, it really literally was your neighbors and your friends that were um you know coming in yeah it, it's gotta be i imagine i mean when you're in the front lines you're dealing with something that you don't you don't know how do you how do you keep the morale up I mean, how do you keep people, I'm sure there were people that were frightened, right. maybe didn't want to come to work, didn't know. Now, especially when you start to see your colleagues getting sick, how do you keep people focused on the game, if you will? I guess that um, initially when uh, we started getting a lot of patients with COVID and they were just early on trying to figure out what the best treatments were, the staff were grounded i think and they were committed and it was no question that they were going to come in and take care of those patients right uh well i so. think that comes down to to you and then yourselves and being strong leaders and not being afraid to roll up your sleeves and get involved and and really what that leadership had to have gotten the staff and, and the partnerships through mm -hmm. and and saved lives i mean it's really it's it's incredible the staff was great um, you know, it was a very difficult time for everyone, but there was so much camaraderie, I think, at that point that you can't ever, I don't think I'll ever see that again. Mm -hmm. uh, the staff meeting before their shift, we had the PPE outside the door, everybody putting on their PPE, they communicated, you know, we checked in with each other. It was, it was a, a very difficult time, but it was a very special time also. We were also caring for people that had nothing to do with COVID. I mean, you're still dealing with emergencies that are happening as exactly. you're dealing with the pandemic. Exactly. Yep. All of the emergencies went away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the truth, though. It really yeah, did. Yeah, it was right. really all COVID. Amnesitises went away. Strokes went away. Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. went away. It was insane. I mean, like other conditions went away and how much of it was just COVID. It was yep. really weird. Yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it, and back to what I said at the beginning, like emergency department nurses, and then I'll, I'll take some of this credit as well. Emergency department physicians are, you know, we'll do whatever, whenever, wherever, you know, I mean, that's just the mindset of the people that go into it. And we are under different pressures and different challenges every day for us. Yeah. This was just another challenge that ended up arose and was much more difficult, but 
you know, we found places to get information from to make sure it wasn't something we were bringing home to our families. We did our best to care for each other, check in with each other and make sure that we were doing okay. And uh, the best part to, to Gene's point is that, you know, that's camaraderie and um, support from like the city that in all honesty, you probably never see again. Like yep. the clap outs really helped, like people sending food really helped, like all that stuff really made you realize you're doing something for your community and that you're really serving a higher good. And a lot of times you'll get that on ship, but it's not nearly as um, as apparent and as, you know, as obvious as it was when we went through this mm -hmm. pandemic where everything was, we were highlighted, we were thanked and, and we were getting praise for, for doing what we needed to do to help the community out. And it was appreciated, believe me. I mean, that was not, it, it definitely... It didn't fall on deaf ears when we would get those clap outs, when we would get those things. Like it was really hard work and, and getting that support was something that definitely made it worthwhile and, and made it something that we continue to do. <laughs> you came in in 2020 and what, what month? November 2020. November of 2020. Yeah. So yeah. you came in as the tail end of the first wave, I guess. And moving towards the second the season. season. That was the holiday season. The holiday season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I was welcomed in by everybody in that department very quickly and we're very quick to to take new people in and, and support them and be friendly to them and everything uh and that was when we started dipping our toe in the the antibody waters and starting to offer antibodies to the community and then i guess you could say something else that we took away from it is just how truly adaptable and flexible we were because that was something that none of us are used to doing and we stood it up essentially overnight and ended up giving out oh god what like four thousand five thousand treatments over the course of that program which is is definitely something to be proud of, 100%. And we we sought it, right? We went after it because we knew that they thought at that time it worked and we wanted to make sure that our community got it. So we actually sought after it, trying to get it in the ER. Yeah, well, 100%, yeah, 100% because this was around uh, end of the initial wave and then Delta wave, like it definitely helped those patients out. Absolutely. That, that treatment prevented people from coming into the hospital, which was a huge help because everyone was still overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. right? And then 100% prevented people from dying, which is, you know, an, an, an obviously fantastic. Yeah. And we were so grateful to have something to give them, right? Yeah. The point, yeah. So. yeah. So did the pandemic itself help in the planning of the new ED for, for the future? That new ED has been in planning for a long time, like well before COVID. You know, a lot of the things that we had set up in that new ED were there before COVID. And then honestly, honestly, if uh, they weren't in place, we would have added them, certainly. So the fact that all the rooms are private there and that isolation, which was a huge issue for us when COVID started, was making sure that one person didn't give it to another and we ended up having to keep them separated and keep them from other patients. That's not a problem in our current ED. I mean, every room is set up so that they can stay isolated and they're not gonna end up spreading disease to each other, which is fantastic. I'd like to say that was from COVID, but it was uh, it was designed in place. Yeah, right before COVID, and that that's again because really every part of that design was around providing the best care, the best experience to patients, and giving them that privacy, and giving them that comfort, and giving them that space to actually come into an emergency department and get healed. Yeah, definitely. Now, as two leaders of the emergency department, how do you keep the pulse of the team? I mean, on a day to day basis, you're seeing the worst of the worst, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings. So how do you decompress and make sure that your staff is physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know, handling things well? For, uh, for me, it's really just about checking in with them, you know, having conversations and making sure that they're okay. A, a lot of it's just being, you know, being a good person and checking in and making sure that you realize that 
you know, these people are humans. You know, to your point, they're not just cogs of the machine. They are humans that have wants, that have desires, that have uh, things that History. they have going on in life. Right, yeah, exactly. And just checking in with them and making sure that their family's okay, that their kids are okay, and then doing things like that you know, makes them know that you really care about them. And at the end of the day, they just want to make sure that the person who's on in charge of them and, and has their back really cares about them as a person and not them as just a physician, a PA in your emergency department. For the more critical stuff, just making sure you know also what happens too. So if you have a difficult case that comes in, making sure that you reach out to that person and make sure they know that someone's thinking about them, that someone cares about them, and let them know they did a good job. No one comes to work wanting to not do a good job. And if you have a good outcome, bad outcome, you 100% gave it your all and you need to be appreciated for that and then thanked for that. We also try to do debriefings after a big event. So if it's a stroke or a, a pediatric cases are very difficult when they're uh, come in uh, very sick or an extremist. And any kind of significant event, we try to do a def- uh, debriefing at the bedside uh, soon after the event. So because we have a nurse intern program, which are they're new nurses, it's a year-long program, but they're new nurses, right? So generally speaking, we don't take uh, new nurses for the ER, but this program is specially developed so that we um, can provide training to them over a uh, course of a year. And this debriefing not only helps us to check in with them and check in with the other staff, but it also gives us a moment to educate them, right? Mm-hmm. We just had a stroke to go over exactly what happened with the stroke patient um, to see if there's something we missed or something we could do better the next time, a significant trauma. You know, you try, I don't think that they're insensitive to um, the cases that come in that, uh, but after a while, you do get used to certain things in an ER, right? But the person standing next to you might not be used to it. So you always have to kind of keep that in mind when you agree to have students. We have, uh, you know, CSI students, Wagner students, uh, nursing students, but we also have this internship program. So they're young, uh, generally inexperienced. They want to learn. They're great. They bring a lot of positive energy but you have to keep an eye on them. Make sure that they don't go home without checking in with them if there's a significant event. So that's one other thing we do. And the, the debrief helps a lot too. I mean, because that gives you an, an open space to talk about what happened, what you saw, to get it out there. And uh, a lot of times what you end up seeing or what you end up thinking is something else that's uh, something that someone else had on the team had on their mind as well. And if you don't give that platform for them to get it on out there, they carry it with them. And that's not good for anybody, one, because it weighs on them, but two, it might have been something that we could have really improved upon. Yeah. So the, debrief, yes. the, the debrief program is something that Gene worked very hard to put in a place that, that is very successful in the department. But you're also, I mean, medicine in itself is a rewarding field, but when you're in emergency medicine, you've got someone who's coming in who may not even have a pulse, and then you bring that person back. That feeling, what is that feeling like? I mean, what is it when you have someone's life in your hands and they're alive because of you and what your team have done? So I, I work 10-hour shifts, see probably 20 to 25 patients on a shift, and you can imagine like there's a lot with that, right? A lot of getting people's stories, a lot of getting people's histories, getting more involved with some patients, less involved with some patients. So there's a lot that you end up having to bring in. And a lot of it is, you know, runny nose, coughing, some vague chest pain, some things that 
after many years of doing this, can get a little mundane. Like, okay, here's your prescription, go home. But you know, you definitely end up having cases like you described that are that are wins that you try and keep with you and really remember those cases because those are the cases where if you weren't there, you know, that patient might have not been alive. That patient might not have been able to get back to their loved ones. And it doesn't have to be the case you described. You know, it can be something as simple as making a diagnosis that a patient couldn't end up figuring out and steering them in the direction of the right management for that, for being there for someone that came in that while they had a bunch of symptoms, really just needed someone to talk to. They're kind of kept things right and get their life back on track and just being a, a reassuring voice for that person letting them know everything's okay and that everything's going to be okay with their lives. And then for those cases in particular where you do end up having a save, where you do end up making some doing some sort of procedure that that ends up benefiting the patient greatly. I mean, it feels yeah, it's it's incredible. It's really hard to to describe because you know it's something that you ended up doing that 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 prolonged their life and hopefully prolonged their life in a, in a very meaningful way. It's much at least for me, it's much more rewarding when it's like very complex and very difficult to change to too because then you feel like wow, I really did something that only happened uh, because I was here. I had a, a PA who had an incredible save, and I brought this one up a few times. It was a lady who was an IV drug abuser, had a very nasty infection on her arm. The arm ended up becoming a, a fracture and the bones were exposed, like coming through. And something severe enough that uh, one of the treatment options was to just amputate, which obviously would have cost her her hand. And she said, you know, no, that's not right. She got multiple surgeons on board for this patient and they came up with a plan where they removed the parts of the bone that were infected, that were diseased. They replaced those. They put in some rods to kind of stabilize everything. Started on a whole bunch of IV antibiotics, and obviously got her the health that she needed to deal with the mental problems that were associated with it. And that lady still has use of her hand at this point and yeah. is on a road to recovery. And it was like a thirty-something-year-old lady that, you know, one of the options was to lose her hand, which is, you know, that that's terrible, right? I mean, that's something that you're never going to recover from, that that your life is on a trajectory that's completely different from what this PA did. And uh, she's incredibly proud of it, but I'll, I'll tell you, as her uh, as her chairman, I'm like, that's a case I bring up to everybody because I'm like, look at what this person did. These are the type of people that we have working there that are able to look beyond that option, which is obviously not an option for anybody, and to bring in the additional resources and to bring a team together that can end up really manage this patient the best way possible and get them the best outcome possible, uh, not just for that condition, but hopefully for her life. You know, I mean, hopefully that's something where she's like, I'm done with IV drugs forever and and I'm going to make a positive impact and I'm going to get back, give back to the community now, you know? Great feeling, definitely. What would you say to somebody who is considering pursuing a career in emergency medicine? I would say that... You know, 100% check yourself and make sure that that this is what's right for you. Like it is a very rewarding field, but it's a very challenging field. And you see people at their most like bare, their most exposed, their most vulnerable. And you see people all over the spectrum. So you have people that'll come in crying because something bad just happened to them. You have people come in crying because they just want to be hysterical, which is tough to deal with. You know, people that come in tantruming that you would end up having to deal with that aren't your kids, which is a challenge. You know, people come in thinking that, you know, they have the worst, telling them they don't have the worst and they're ecstatic. And then you also have people that come in thinking they have the worst, you tell them you don't have the worst. And they're like, well, why is it not that? Like, what's, what's wrong with me that it's like, it's okay if there's nothing wrong. All right, you're fine. Like, go home. So, 
it's uh it's definitely a lot more dealing with emotions and 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 dealing with and people management than i realized you know i wanted this field because i wanted to help people and i didn't think that there was a better spot to do it than the emergency department where you're exposed to all that you know you are frontline and a lot of other fields of medicine there's a lot of steps between you and a patient er is like one of the only fields where you have direct access to that position and then even once you're done with that position you still continue to have direct access to them because you just walk right over the desk and say well what's going on like why am i still having this issue so it's one of the only fields where you have like really no barriers between you and the patient you can really have an impact on them in so many different ways so that's why I did it, and that's why I continue to, and that's why I ended up becoming a chairman because I want to do that on just a much larger basis, and then also to help my fellow physicians and my fellow nurses that you know don't have someone checking on them, and and that's really important because it is a field that does weigh on you a lot. So uh, to someone who wants to go into emergency medicine, I would say you know thank you, <laughs> thank you, welcome aboard, and we're we're happy to have you. I wish you could walk you to emergency medicine. I did critical care at Bellevue for a short time, and then I really wanted to go back to the community. And uh, a friend of mine worked at Rumsey, and I went there, and I never looked back from ER nursing. I mean, it's, I, it is challenging, and it's exhausting, but it is, a lot of ways, very rewarding, right? So, but I, I agree with Jonathan, and I think another thing that you have to, uh, you know, let people understand is you, have to be able to uh, somehow release all the negative energy uh, when you leave work, right? So you have to be able to take care. You have to be that person that's going to take care of yourself and know that uh, it is stressful and it is it can be very challenging. So you have to be attuned to that. And that's what we try to tell the new people when they come, you know, go for a run, go for a walk, do whatever you have to do. But, you know, Take care of yourself. Absolutely. I'd like to thank you again, Dr. LeBaron and Jean Gordon, for joining us today. We appreciate all that you do to keep us safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you. In closing, as you've heard, there are highly skilled, experienced medical professionals ready to serve you at the new emergency department and Rumsey's many state-of-the-art facilities in Staten Island and Brooklyn. To learn more about our services, please call 844-934-CARE or visit our website at rumsi.org. We have some exciting events that are coming up that you can take part in and show your support for Rumsey. On Saturday, April 1st, Rumsey will host its annual Arnold Obey 5K Run Walk, which benefits the Wayne Zena Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Rumsey's Wayne Zena Neonatal Intensive Care Unit has a survival rate of over 99%, which is one of the highest in the country. And your support is needed so that we can continue to save young lives and keep families together. This event will be held at Clove Lakes Park, and if you'd like to register, you can do so by visiting rumseysi.org backslash 5k. On May 22nd, Rumsey will host its annual Jack Sip Golf, Tennis, and Bocce outing at the Roachman County Country Club. For more information and to reserve your tea time, court time, and dinner tickets, please visit rumseysi.org backslash golf or call 718-818-2106. That about does it for this episode of Rumsey Connections. Thank you for joining us. I'm Meredith Gaskins.